we've got to outreach to those that are not with us. We've got to educate them. We've got to mobilize them. We've got to motivate them. That's the only way it can happen. So I'm going to ask all of you, who's got the power? What kind of power? People power. All right, so we can do it. Yes, we can. Si se puede. Let's all say this all together. Si se puede. Welcome to episode 37 of How We Win. All over the country, people are staying home, staying safe, and still doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now, right from your living room. The best antidote to anxiety is action. We need your help, and we'll get through this together. We have a very special episode today, as we have the honor of sitting down with legendary labor leader and civil rights icon, Dolores Huerta. We talk about how she organized farm workers in the 60s, how those lessons are applied today, and the work that she's continuing to do now at the age of 90. Spoiler alert, she is not backing down. No, she is not. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How how We Win. Don't wait to be invited, she says. Step in there. Uh, And on a personal note, uh, Dolores was uh, very gracious uh, when I told her I had stolen her slogan, uh, Si Se Puede, Yes We Can. Uh, Knowing her, uh, uh, I'm pleased that she let me off easy, because Dolores does not play. Si Se Puede. You know, hearing Dolores Huerta talk is just such a, a, a balm after the chaos of yet another terrible coronavirus rose garden press conference this week. Right. I mean, chaos is probably a nice way to put it. You know, it was uh, really hateful. Uh, Trump continues to show us who he is despite himself. Oh yeah. It had uh, the uh, Monday's Monday's presser had all of the, the, the Trumpian hallmarks of misinformation, racism, sexism, pouting, yeah. The huge. It still didn't hold a candle, I don't think, to uh, what he was doing on Twitter all weekend. He tweeted almost, tweeted or retweeted almost 200 times. And I think someone wow. figured that he was sending on average a tweet every like 15 minutes <laughs> for the entire weekend. Dude was fired up. Well, you know, I mean, Mother's Day is an inspiring time for many of us to get on Twitter and and tweet (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Tweet with righteous anger about uh, a crime that he calls Obamagate when asked to clarify what the crime was. He said it was Obamagate. He said, you know, he said, you know what it is. You all know yeah, what the crime you, is. You guys know you what know the what crime is. is. We need to tell you. And what he also said uh, in relation to that was that you'll be seeing more in, in the coming weeks. And, uh, and we will be seeing more in the coming weeks from, from this. Their, their playbook for November is uh, very, very clear right now. We're seeing it from the tweets about the election in CA-25 when he's uh, denigrating vote by mail and also denigrating having uh, polling places open. So doesn't like to vote by mail, also doesn't like people to be able to vote in person. And just putting out blatant lies about that misinformation, saying that the election is should be invalidated, these votes shouldn't be counted. It was really jarring to hear all that. I, I think what the what the tweets showed us over the weekend, aside from how deranged Trump was, is there there a glimpse into the future? Is that you know he's going to try to meddle in as many elections as possible, especially if it seems like Democrats have strong footing. And he's continuing to use the Department of Justice as a political tool. And and Bill Barr is going along with it by, you know, filing the motion to dismiss the charges against Flynn. Um, completely unclear why and thousands of former Justice Department employees have said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not how this is supposed to work at all. But that's not going to stop them. Barr is Trump's personal fixer masquerading Mm -hmm. as the people's attorney general. 
He manipulated the narrative of the Mueller report. He intervened to block congressional oversight, uh, you know, what we call checks and balances. And now it's dismissed the case against Michael Flynn. This Obamagate stuff that you were talking about that we're going to see more of, this is uh, going to be manipulated also by Barr, hand in hand, with the power of the Justice Department to be able to weigh in. It's, it's actually really scary. And with the added compounding of the Russian interference amplifying this, just like they're already amplifying these demonstrations infiltrating the demonstrators and and these groups you know it's uh it's a playbook that the republicans have used <laughs> used last election uh last presidential election and um it's uh, it's in full effect right now so yep so we got to stay vigilant um fingers are crossed that the dismissal that the DOJ is recommending for Flynn doesn't make it all the way through the courts and actually happen. Speaking of the courts, one thing that's been pretty cool, I don't know, have you had a chance to listen in on the Supreme Court arguments? They're teleworking right now, so you can listen to them online. And today they're hearing arguments about the release of Trump's personal tax returns that Congress had subpoenaed um, and that the administration had been blocking. Um, and it's pretty interesting to listen in. I think this is something that they should continue to do even after stay-at-home orders are lifted. I think the arguments and the, and the questions are really interesting, and it's been kind of nerdy fun to see people, <laughs> you know, making predictions. Um, That's how I think. Which of way us. the justices we're, are, are we're nerdy fun people. <laughs> <laughs> I can't follow all of it, I'll be honest. My casual uh, legal background, which comes mostly <laughs> from watching Law & Order, <laughs> right. didn't really equip me for listening to these, but it's still interesting stuff. They should start every um, new case with a kong kong <laughs> yeah. the, the Law & Order theme, just to get people's attention. Now, one sound effect that we did hear last week when this was first live streamed was a toilet flushing right. during, <laughs> during some of the, the questions. Um, Has anyone copped to that? Do we know uh, which one of the justices? I don't even want to know. That's too much detail. <laughs> want to know. But, you know, as, as we all get used to this new method of, of interacting with each other, let's just remember to step away to go to the restroom put your phone down before you go in or at least hit mute you know i'm all for multitasking it's much more efficient but i don't even think people should be hitting mute. <laughs> leave it in another room ah <laughs> uh, supreme court you know circling back to the press conferences one thing that's been coming up repeatedly is um the ahmaud arbery case Yes. down in Georgia, which, uh, you know, the nation has been watching very closely in the last week, only because there is now cell phone footage of what appears to be in, in a stalking attack and murder uh, that happened in broad daylight on a public street a couple of months ago. Really horrifying footage. And we've seen too many of these Fortunately, because of the power of social media, the power of our activist groups, these guys who were walking around free, not prosecuted at all, they've now been arrested. Justice has more of a chance of being served. We'll see how this all plays out. But um, there was a thread, I don't know if you saw it, that was going around about all the things that um, you know white people can do that black people can't do. Basic things like going for a jog. You know, answering mm -hmm. their cell phone, uh, reading a book in the car, and like all the all these things that um, uh, young black men and women have been shot and killed by police or by so-called vigilantes um, doing, and uh, it's a powerful reminder. But this whole episode uh, that unfolded very quickly was also a powerful reminder of the power that we have as individuals and as activists to shine a light on on these things and actually force the hand of justice. 
I mean, that's a great point, but I also think the other point is like, you know, I, I know what thread you're talking about. Like, of course, I'm black. Of course, I knew all of that stuff, you know? Right. But what it comes down to is um, the general public needing to believe black people. Like I said, this shooting happened a couple of months ago. And the only reason, the only reason that there is any prosecution in this case is because there wasn't just video of the incident, but the video was made public. Right. Um, and I grew up in Georgia. I know the feeling of approaching people, white people sitting in a pickup truck. I've never had anyone pull a gun on me, but there is always a little bit of fear that in certain situations, in certain communities that, that you get. And I think that so often the black community as a whole is accused. You, you hear people talking about playing the race card and things have changed and, you know, all the cliches about, oh, if we, ha we had a black president, how bad could things be or whatever. Right. But this has been going on for a very long time. It happens so much more regularly than we have video for. And the ability of people to, to shoot a little video on their cell phone has been a huge game changer for us. It doesn't mean that things are happening more or less frequently. It's just that justice might be a little bit more likely to, to happen because of it. Yeah. I mean, I always have a hard time talking about this stuff as a white male person of privilege you mentioned Obama presidency. I mean, th this is this is the big rap on myself, and one of the reasons why I work so hard. You know, since Trump has been elected, I was one of those, um, you know, super liberal white dudes who was so thrilled that Obama was elected, and we had our first black president, and was had my blinders on a bit about the state of our country and, and was looking at the arc of history and the civil rights movement and where we got to. And now we have a black president and wow, we're really heading towards uh, more equality. And, you know, uh, what I didn't really take in was the full extent of, of what was still happening, as you said, not on camera, you know, not with cell phone footage and the stuff that was still going on. And one thing that the Trump presidency has really brought to light, obviously, is these white nationalist groups who have felt emboldened and have come out. And we've and and for many of us, we've been able to see more overtly in ways that people of color have seen their whole lives. You know what still exists. You know beyond having our first African American president. And it's it's stark and and jarring, and it shows how much work we have to do and how vigilant we have to be. And when you have an administration and Republicans who are so willing to um, push that, cast that aside because they want to quote unquote make America great again and go back to a different time, um, it makes our work so much more urgent. I absolutely agree with that. But the only thing that I will say is, you know. We're, since we're talking about Georgia, I'll just add that I think something like 80% of people in Georgia who've been hospitalized with coronavirus are black. Right. That's a, a vastly disproportionate part of the population. This is not only a in the last, you know, three and a half years, things have have gotten worse. This is a systemic issue um, and, and violence against black people is a systemic issue. And these things, the disparities in healthcare and environment in violence have been going on for generations. Right. Um, and so, yes, it's urgent that we take action because now we see that there are quite literally deadly consequences for all of these disparities, but we need to take action in part because we are all to blame for this, this systemic problem. Yeah. The coronavirus is a perfect example of how people of color are just disproportionately affected by by anything that um, the 
comes at us. And, you know, with our interview with Dolores Huerta, she talks a lot about that. And, and I mean, mm-hmm. when we talk about numbers of coronavirus cases and fatalities and everything, are we including the um, asylum seekers and immigrants who are in cages on, on the border still today and those families and people who are not being allowed access and are in Mexico? I mean, you know, um, I don't know what those numbers are, but these are people who are undoubtedly uh, getting sick and are being, you know, disproportionately affected by this and don't have any resources to deal with it. We have a we have a lot of people um, that we need to make sure don't get left behind in this pandemic and even further left behind in the pandemic and the recovery that surely must come after it. Oh, we got a lot of work to do, Steve. <laughs> we do. I'm glad we had that discussion too. It's hard. It's you know, discussions on race are so hard for fragile little white people like myself. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's um, you know, uh, I'm glad that you shared that. It's a difficult conversation for you. I think it is for a lot of people, and uh, and that's that's one of the first things we need to do is go ahead and have difficult conversations with each other, you know, and we have common goals. We want the same things. We ought to be able to talk honestly uh, with each other uh, about it so we can work together, you know, effectively. So we'll keep having the conversation and encourage other people out there listening to, you know, be part of these challenging conversations too. In the meantime, what's uh, giving you hope this week, Steve? Or do you want to talk about murder hornets? <laughs> murder hornets. That are... keeps getting in the, in the show notes. Uh, right, we didn't murder talk about hornets. it last week. Murder hornets. Um, what's next? Murder hornets? Yes. Yes, murder hornets are what's next. Well, How much worse could it get? <laughs> I guess what's giving... What's giving me hope right now is, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the playbook for Republicans to win. That includes Trump trying to delegitimize elections, calling everything rigged and Barr helping with the Justice Department and the power that it wields to uh, support conspiracy theories against Obama and Biden, the Russian interference that will support and aid that that they will embrace as well. That's basically the Republicans playbook, divide and conquer, you know, mm-hmm. amplify the divisions that exist in our country, try to hold on to their base by amplifying the racist rhetoric and um, to denigrate immigrants. And of course, we can't leave out the GOP's old friends, voter suppression and gerrymandering. That's their playbook. Our playbook is to be clear eyed about what they're doing so that mm-hmm. the divide doesn't lead to conquer. And also it's turnout. It's just, you know, we have to remember that Mitt Romney got more votes than Donald Trump did. The fundamental reason that we lost the presidency, that Hillary Clinton isn't our president right now, is because Democrats did not show up and vote. Right. So did I, was there anything hopeful in there? The hope is, <laughs> um, <laughs> the hope is that right now we are, we are still continuing to see, even in the face of this, you know, challenging pandemic, we're seeing people not stopping, doing the organizing work, talking to voters. Right. We're seeing strong voter enthusiasm. And, you know, I really believe we're going to have strong turnout. We see people like Dolores Huerta at 90 years old, civil rights icon, who is not stopping. I mean, she's she's an amazing example. And we asked her, like, what keeps her going? And you'll hear about that in the interview. But mm-hmm. um, it's just exciting to see that even in the face of all of this uncertainty, you have one thing that people are certain about, and that's that they want to vote out Donald Trump. All right, let's do it. We just got less than six months. We've got the playbook. Steve's given it to us. No excuses. Show up and vote for a Democrat. That's our playbook to win. And we have to do it. We have so much to overcome. Fundraising is looking good. Polls are looking good, but I don't really want to dig into polls six months ahead of time. We need to organize. We need to keep contacting voters. And that's how we win. Agreed. Don't look at any polls right now, if ever.
What about you? My reason for hope this week is um, it was announced today that the Hamilton movie is going to come out in a few weeks. And I really love Hamilton and like so many people. And I went in when I saw it thinking, it's overhyped. There's no way I'm going to like this as much as everybody says. (laughs) And I did. And my wish after seeing it was that everybody would have a chance to see it because it's such a powerful piece of art and it inspired me creatively and it inspired my activism because Mm -hmm. it really is about how one person who's determined and persistent can really transform our country. Obviously he didn't do it alone, but you know, that was, it's called Hamilton. So it's really about Alexander Hamilton. Um, so anyway, my wish the night that I first saw it was that everybody uh, would get a chance to see it. I, you know, I kind of wish that it was going to be on PBS, but it's going to be on Disney Plus, which makes it, you know, right. a little bit more accessible than um, what the, you know, ticket prices are obviously bananas and i've entered the lottery so many times to see it again and never won so um Uh, so anyway people are going to get a chance and i i hope that that uh if you get a subscription or have a watch party when all of this is over or something that you can affordably see hamilton and be inspired i can't wait i'm really excited i had the same experience seeing it i saw it here in la the touring show and um first number Actually, you you had a, a much more generous response to it. Like, how can we get everyone to see this? I was just like, when am I going to be able to come see this again? I was like, <laughs> like right during the first number, I'm like, I can't wait to see this for a second time already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we've got some reasons for hope, some things to look forward to. Um, and we also have um, two awesome items on the to-do list this week. Yes, exactly. It's just party. May is just full of parties, right? Virtual parties. It's May. It's springtime. It's time to party. Yes. Right. Almost summer. We have the May 24th letter writing party, which we're doing with Vote Forward, Pantsuit Politics, Mm -hmm. Steve's birthday. We're all getting together on Zoom. Well, you just buried the lead there. You said led with it's my birthday. (laughs) 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 we're getting together on a zoom to sing happy birthday and write letters and chat about political stuff this is going to be super fun and productive the letter writing parties if you haven't participated yet first of all what are you waiting for they're really effective they're really fun and you can do it safely at home which is the the whole point so hope you join us for that Great. And then later in the month, we are celebrating another birthday. Dolores Huerta, her 90th birthday celebration on May 30th, just to like steal all of my thunder. I don't appreciate it. I'm sure that's why she did it. Her birthday was back in April. She didn't have to do it right (laughs) after my birthday party. I will say as strong as our letter parting letter writing party guest lineup is <laughs> hers is <laughs> pretty freaking spectacular. Yeah, I mean uh Benjamin Bratt, America Fiera, Jane Fonda, Eva Longoria, George Lopez, Carlos Santana, Gloria Steinem, Maxime Waters, many more. It's a pretty cool party. Having a little party envy, but but the good news is that um, these are on two different days, so um, people can attend two different virtual celebrations. And for uh, Dolores Huerta's birthday, uh, she'll be raising money for the Dolores Huerta Foundation, which is doing incredibly important work. That's right. So uh, we'll have links to both of those parties, and obviously you, you can also go to DoloresHuertaFoundation.org to get information on on that party. And we're going to hear more about it in our interview. At FedEx, we're making reusable packaging our priority because Earth is our priority. Our goal is to be carbon neutral by 2040. We call it Priority Earth. FedEx, where now meets next. 
There are few people who've made a bigger contribution to modern organizing than Dolores Huerta. She's dedicated her life to fueling movements and fighting for social justice. In partnership with Cesar Chavez, she built and co-founded the United Farm Workers Union and ushered in a cultural revolution in America. She was awarded the Medal of Freedom by President Obama, who borrowed the slogan she made famous, Yes, We Can, or Si Se Puede. Dolores is an icon and at 90 years young shows no sign of slowing down. Ms. Huerta, thank you so much for joining us today. First off, how are you and your family doing during this coronavirus pandemic? Well, I'm happy to report that my family is doing well. We're all sequestered, uh, all of our employees for the Dolores Huerta Foundation. Uh, we actually uh, started working at home uh, actually almost two weeks before uh, the governor of California asked everybody to lock down mm-hmm. uh, because we were so afraid that uh, our people would get uh, infected with the virus. And so we're, we're doing all, all of us are doing well. One of our staff members uh, did lose some of his family, uh, but they were in Mexico, but they, he did lose his grandparents to, to the virus. So, And uh, we all, everybody has friends and people that they know that have lost someone. And in our area, we have... Uh, because we are, we have a large Latino population. I'm here. Uh, I'm talking to you from Kern County, mm-hmm. uh, California. That is uh, one of our agricultural counties, and over 65% of our population here uh, that have been infected have been the Latino community. Uh, many of them farm workers, uh, frontline workers, that were really not provided the kind of protection that they needed. But uh, thankfully, to answer your question, uh, myself and my family were, were fine. It's great to hear this, and our love goes out to your colleague who lost his grandparents. Um, And of course, immigrants and workers are being hit the hardest and continue to be hit the hardest by this. And that's part of the work you've been doing since the beginning, protecting working people. Um, Some of your earliest organizing work was, you know, knocking on doors, having conversations with Latino farm workers and registering voters in their homes and in their communities. What was your organizing principle when you first started out, and how did it develop? Well, it's all about empowering people and uh, trying to uh, get people to understand uh, that they have the power to make changes. And actually, uh, the knocking on doors that we do is mostly for campaigns, like when we're registering people to vote or when we're getting out the vote, or like now we've been working a lot on the census, uh, mm-hmm. trying to get people to complete their census forms and to make them understand why this is important, how they're going to bring money into the communities when they get counted, and uh, also how we get representation. But actually, our organizing methods are not knocking on doors. Our organizing methods are actually uh, having meetings in people's homes, getting them to invite us into their home, and when we talk about the issues, uh, because oftentimes People know that they're being discriminated. They know that they're poor. Uh, they don't understand how it happened. You know, I was I born into this situation, and they don't understand the power structures of their community. They, they don't understand or don't know about uh, pieces of legislation that have been passed uh, uh, to keep them in uh, the poverty situation that they're in or in the discriminated section, set, uh, the discriminated lives that they live in. They don't realize that there have actually there's powers uh, at work to make that happen. And so once uh, they can understand how how this came to be and how they can change it, but it, it, it takes a, a more of a conversation than, than, than you can do at, at, at a doorstep. It has mm-hmm. you have to actually have people invite you into their home so that you can have a lengthy conversation and they can ask questions and they can finally understand what's happening. Because if they don't understand how why this situation exists or how it came to be that way, then they don't understand or they don't know how they can change it. Yeah. And you mentioned the census work that you're doing right now. And we were going to ask you about that a little bit later. But since you brought it up, now that we're locked down and and people aren't being invited into each other's homes, uh, how are you doing that work to spread word about the census? And and how's that going? Well, I think we've come into your world, (laughs) Steve. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we're now having to do it uh, virtually uh, by, by by telephone, mostly calling into people's uh, homes and uh, talking to them, and uh, you know trying to convince them on the phone why they why they have to fill out their census forms. And and so this is basically what we're doing now. Uh, a lot of Zoom uh, meetings with a lot of our leadership, 
Mm-hmm. And it's really fun, too, to see how uh, so many of, of the people that we work with, well, the people that we work with are low-income people. They're the most discriminated in the communities. Many of them have never been on a Zoom meeting or a Facebook meeting before. And to see them getting on these meetings and how excited they are when they know <laughs> that this is something that they can actually do. And it's, it's been pretty exciting. We had uh, our last call, we had this uh, different representatives from our different chapters that got on the Zoom call, and they were so excited when they got on the calls. They were, you know, it was a lot of fun for them. Are they changing up their backgrounds and showing off their pets and doing all that stuff, too? Well, a lot of them don't know how to change the background, right. but, but they are showing off their pets. And, of course, you have a lot of kid interference. Right. You know? mm-hmm. But it's been very difficult for them because, uh, uh, as you know, uh, especially in our rural areas, people mm-hmm. don't have internet internet access and uh, this has really impacted the, the kids, especially because they're supposed to be doing their work at home, and yet they don't have uh, broadband access to their homes, and it makes it very, very difficult. So we see that the children, especially of our Spanish-speaking population, is really going to suffer, and they're going to be uh, really held back because they're missing almost a whole semester mm-hmm. uh, of their education. And we don't know, of course, when it's going to end. Although I have to say that in our area, here because we are again in Kern County, which is uh, I like to liken like something. And you, Steve, you were here, so you saw it. Yeah. This is something like Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Both the city council and the board of supervisors, who were you know controlled by the Republican Party, they both voted to open up, uh, to open up the uh, the city and to open up the county. Hmm. Even though we have uh, our last count, we had. Uh, Yesterday, it was 1,083 people that had been infected with the virus. And, of course, we've had some deaths also. So to think that they're opening it up when we have this this many people that have been infected is crazy. Mm. I think that people are going to, as some of these governments open things back up too quickly, people are going to have to take it upon themselves to put their own distancing in in place and and prioritize their their health if the the government is not going to do it. But just, are you satisfied with how people are responding to the census, or are we sort of losing ground because of the lack of ability to meet in person? We're going to have to make that up this well, summer. You well, know, our, our biggest challenge is basically uh, what Donald Trump did from the day that he came down mm-hmm. and got later, when attacking Mexicans as criminals and rapists, and the uh, constant attacks on Mexicans and uh, Latinos, uh, you know all of the refugees that came to the border, all the deportations that have happened uh, has instilled in our Latino population. And I'm not going to say fear. I'm going to use the word terror. Mm. Uh, People have been terrorized and uh, the fear, uh, because you have a lot of mixed families where you'll have someone who's a citizen in the family, uh, a, a resident immigrant, and then you'll have an undocumented person in that family, you know. Uh, and so you have this fear that has been so prevalent in the community that people are just, they're afraid of the government, basically. And if they're not afraid, they're mad at the government. They don't want to co- cooperate with the government. And when we say, well, the census is something that is run every 10 years by the government, right. they don't want to cooperate or have anything to do with it. You know, So we have to do real a deep education to say to them, no, look, this is a, yeah, this this happens every 10 years. And yes, this is uh, run by the, the government, but the government's going to give us money. So when you sign up for the census, you're going to bring money into your community. And in California, it's almost $2,000 per person. Mm-hmm. And if we don't sign up, then we're going to lose that money. And that money, it goes for our schools, it goes for health care, it goes for infrastructure. So we're going to lose if you don't sign up. And, and then we have to convince them that the census is confidential. Right. If anybody shares the information, they can go to prison for five years, that there's no citizenship question on the census because we, uh, with other organizations and uh, led by Mexican-American Legal Defense Fund and the ACLU, that they sued Trump. And so we won. We were one of the plaintiffs. Yes. We sued and we won. So there's no citizenship question on the census. But that still it doesn't really, I, I don't think it conquers the fear. You know, we're able to reach some people. Uh, to, you know, say, you know, please cooperate. More recently here in the Central Valley, they're telling people, well, you don't have to put your address, you know, just put down the city that you live in. So it's a lot of work. And, and you know, and then, of course, we talk about representation. 
uh, because eventually, hopefully, we get a new administration and we want to get immigration reform. We want to get another legalization program. Mm -hmm. But that's not going to happen until we get uh, people that look like us or people that have our values uh, that if they get elected to the Congress, to the state legislature. So the census also counts a lot for representation. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk more about uh, some of the early organizing you did and how it relates to the work that we're doing right now. Um, in 1965, you helped organize the famous Great Boycott that eventually pressured growers into allowing farm workers to unionize. One key tactic was to have farm workers share their stories. Can you talk about why personal stories are so effective and how we should continue using them today? Well, I think personal stories are uh, are a way to get the message, but but the. And I know people rely on, on a lot of uh, people rely on that for organizing, but you've got to organize first before the personal stories, uh, I, I think, have any kind of an impact. Okay. And organizing is hard work, you know. It's just reaching out to people, talking to as many people as you can, bringing people together. Uh, so the personal stories are important, but I think there too much emphasis has been put on that. And I know it was one of the people that came out of the farm because it kind of uh, has really espoused that. But uh, to me... Are you talking uh, about Marshall Gans? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he never believed in house meetings. <laughs> he always refused to do them. Uh, but the way that we organized the Farmworkers Union, when you talk about that strike, it took three years that Cesar and I spent uh, doing house meetings up and down the valley with farm workers to build that base. You have to have a base. And you know, you can start with two people or three people, but you've got to organize a base uh, to be able to do the work. And yeah, the personal story is nice, you know, when you talk about it, but basically, yeah, you can talk, you know, in, in general, like when we talk to people about the boycott, we said farm workers are on strike, you know, I mean, farm workers don't have toilets. You know, we didn't say Jose, the farm worker, we said farm workers in general, they, they don't have bathrooms in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't have uh, drinking water. They don't have the right to organize. So I guess that's the story that you tell. Like today, we talk about the people that are in these uh, cages at the border. Right. You know, it's not like one particular person. You're talking about everybody that is there. And yeah, when you talk about a personal story, but I can assure you that when I organized a great boycott, I wasn't talking about Jose or Maria. I was talking about farmers in general. Hmm. Since you're being so open and honest, I would love <laughs> to hear about, um, you know, I, I think that as we look, you, you talked a little bit about how critically important it's going to be to elect a new president in the fall. As you're looking around at how people who might vote for for Joe Biden, the the presumptive Democratic nominee for president. Um, as you're looking at the space, like what do you see that we need to change in order to mobilize enough people in the right places to get him elected? Well, I think we have to organize. You know, I think we have to go out there, and and I I don't know how long uh, people are going to be in lockdown, but it's. I'm assuming that it's going to kind of be over maybe by July for sure, or maybe August. But that means we're going to have to organize like crazy uh, between now and uh, November uh, to get people to vote. And uh, there will be a story, and the personal story will be about a president who didn't protect the people of the country and who was incompetent and allowed so many people to die. So that's a personal story I think that we'll be talking about, okay? And uh, why we have to change uh uh, we have to change and make sure that that president does not continue uh, to be in that office or has the power, basically, to be the, the person who delivers death to our communities instead of saving lives. Mm-hmm. And then contrast with with Biden. Now, the one thing that I did say to the Biden campaign, and I just endorsed, uh, hopefully, a president-elect right. when we get him elected, yeah. is that, you know, I did say to the Biden campaign that you've got to adopt some of the policies that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have been espousing mm-hmm. because we, we just can't have the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. You know, we have too many, especially young people like yourselves, that that 
they are suffering so much. They, they, they go to college. They have so much debt that, that they can't even afford to buy a home afterwards. Or, you know, my, my organization, we get a lot of, a lot of resumes of young people that have, have graduated from college and then they can't find a job and then they're saddled with all the school debt that mm-hmm. they have. And so we have to reframe our, our economic system so that it is a most just, a more just system. And hopefully, if we get Joe Biden elected, that he will listen to people. I mean, he's already I come out and said that he will do something about the student loan debt. Right. And, uh, we don't. We do know that he's definitely going to do something about health care. And I think that's one thing that this pandemic has really uh, shown the spotlight on, that so many people don't have health care and people are exposed to this horrible virus and so many people have died. Yeah. Yeah, and Trump uh, is still trying to take away health care from 20 million people and, and destroy the Affordable Care Act in the middle of all of this, which just, I don't know, that's, it seems like a bad way to get reelected to me, to try to get reelected, but, and also an extremely cruel thing in general, but. Yeah, well, I think we have to take the, we have to take the phrase, a government of the people, you know, by the people for the people, but the people have got to make it work. Hmm. And I think that's our message that we've got to say to everybody, you have got to become an activist. You've got to go out there. You've got to knock on the doors. You've got to talk to your family. You've got to talk to people, make sure that everybody votes because the only way that Biden will lose is if people don't get out there and people don't vote. And at this point, hopefully people will, will be mad enough that they will go out there and vote. Mm-hmm. But I think that we're the ones that are going to have to do that. There's no magic formula. I think it's just really, really basic. All of us have got to just organize as many people as we can uh, to make sure that they get on on the streets. to, to Again, here's where, here's where the door knocking really comes in. You're knocking on the doors and you know going to people and talking to them at their doorstep and telling them why it's important for them to vote. You're 90 years old now, and and by the way, I was I was really sad that the California Democratic Party e board got canceled because you're having a 90 year old uh, 90 birthday party there that got canceled too. So we're sorry that we missed that. We well, actually, we're still going to have it. <laughs> like everything else, it's going to be online. <laughs> oh, it's still coming up. Yeah, it's going to be online on May the 30th at 6 p.m. And we have some great folks that are going to be with us. Uh, uh, Gloria Steinem is going to be with us, and Jane Fonda, Martin Sheen, uh, uh, Carlos Santana. Oh. A lot of the OGs are going to be there. But we'll Can anybody go to that? Can anybody join yeah, that? Absolutely. Yeah, we want everybody to come on board with that. It'll be a fundraiser for our foundation and the work that we're doing uh, right here with all of our people who have been affected by the virus. And yes, so it's, it's going to be. It's going to be. We've got Eva Longoria, America Ferrara. And uh, George Lopez, so we'll hope to make it funny. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Well, yay. I'm glad uh, I didn't miss the chance to celebrate with you. But um, uh, at 90 now, you're still just working so hard, and, and you've been through so much and been at the forefront of so much. How do you avoid burnout? How do you stay energized? And um, like, do you give yourself a, a pep talk to keep going? Where do you get your energy? I think I, I I think I have the I get my energy like you do, Steve. <laughs> yeah, you're tireless. I mean, basically, uh, our energy comes from the fact that we have so much work to do. We have so many more people to reach, and so many more people to organize, so many more people to become active, uh, and so this is where the energy comes from. The more people that we can talk to, the more people we can motivate. Uh, to, you know to build a better country, build a better world to get rid of all of these isms that exist in our society, the mm-hmm. racism, the misogyny, the homophobia, you know, uh, just erasing the ignorance that we have in our society because all of these isms that we talk about, they, they come from ignorance. And, and that's what we have to do as organizers. You know, we're, we're the ministers of truth. Mm. And we have to carry that truth to people directly and uh, talk to them and challenge them make them understand and it takes a lot of doing it does it does take a lot of energy but when you can convince people that they have to stand up and fight for themselves and then i, I think the rewards are so spectacular you know, they're just so amazing 
that you want to continue to do it. And you want to reach as many people as you can because so many people out there, they don't realize the power that they have. And that's what we have to do. We have to, you know, strike a match and light their power. Yeah. Wow. Well, you've been striking those matches for a while, since the 50s, and you probably have some of the best historical perspective on where we are now. But for some people, the past few years have felt really dire. Given your historical perspective and, the, and, and, and what you've seen, has it felt that way for you? Are we in a unique time or are we in a cycle and, you know, we're, we need to just say this too shall pass? I think it's both. I think we are in a cycle, but I think uh, that the powerful forces on the other side, uh, they have so much control over the media and through the media, they are able to control so many people's minds and uh, even in this pandemic, you know, you still have people that get on their Facebook and they hear, uh, you know, all these crazy things, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, like when they started out by saying the pandemic was a hoax, you know, mm-hmm. and this is kind of interesting. This is why what you do is so important right here in our local news. You never hear anything negative about the president. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you go literally go from our local NBC, CBS, ABC stations here and uh, switch later on even to public broadcasting, which has more, you know, pictures of what the Trump, uh, what the president is saying, the stupid things that he says and that he does that you never hear on the local news. Mm -hmm. If you listen to the local news, it's all, you know, power and glory. And he is uh, saving us, you know, from the pandemic. You never hear the real news. And this is happening all over the country. Mm -hmm. I was in Washington, D.C. We had a really great celebration with Nancy Pelosi on Women's Suffrage Day, where Nancy was honoring me. And uh, and I was speaking to one of the congresswomen there from Ohio. And she said that the media there is so bad that she can understand why so many people vote for Trump and for the Republican Party. Because the news is so sanitized. Uh, so that people don't really get the truth. Mm. They don't get the truth. And it's like when I talk, I always say to people, you know, if, if you're not getting the news on your station that you need to get, you know, listen to Amy Goodman, mm. uh, listen to Colbert, you know, <laughs> Myers, listen to the, uh, or, or Trevor Noah, you know, uh, listen to the comedians. They'll get better, a better sense of what's going on from them than you will get from your local uh, television station. That's really true. That's, you know, arts and satire play a very important role, especially in, you know, fascism or times of wannabe fascism when the press is being attacked and uh, manipulated. Um, and the artists really do become the truth tellers. So that's a good point. Okay, well, tell us more about the Dolores Huerta Foundation and how it's continuing your work. Well, we're doing really good. Uh, you know, we're working like in four different counties right now. Uh, and we're working on uh, to end the school to prison pipeline, uh, fighting the racism in the schools. Uh, right now, we're, uh, we're just still working on the census, which you had to resort to phone banking. Uh, we're working on an in-child poverty campaign, uh, passing legislation at the state level and the federal level uh, to get uh, more uh, child tax credits for folks. And uh, we did a big campaign to get some of our doc- undocumented people here. And luckily, we have a great governor, Governor Newsom, great leaders in the legislature. Uh, so they were able to get some uh, a, a financial assistance for the undocumented. Uh, we're getting ready to go into the food bank business as we did many years ago uh, because so many of the farm workers were still working out there. And uh, you might say, well, they're still working. Why do they need any kind of aid? Number one, uh, their wages are you know minimum wage for the most part. But also because children are at home, uh, one of the partners has to stay home to take care of the kids. And so uh, they've had a loss in about half of their income that they would normally have. Uh, to begin setting up food banks uh, at, at the time that they can actually get access to food. So, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of irons in the fire and we're working really hard. You're doing uh, just con- the, the amazing work continues. Um, you've taught we've talked a lot about the, you know, what's going to come up in the next few months um, with the census and the election. Um, and so our final question that we 
ask everyone is very forward looking. What gives you the most hope for our future? Well, I'm hoping that out of this pandemic that a lot of people will just be really, really angry and uh, we'll see why we need uh, a better government, not only at the national level, here on our local level here, we've had uh, all our supervisors in our county city council have all said, okay, people can open up the county right now, even though we're having a lot of people that are infected by the virus. So uh, we, we have to really work very hard to get good government. And uh, I'm hopeful that uh, people will really start realizing how important that is and that they will become active. And also thinking about the climate change and how the fact that we don't have a lot of people on the road, how this has really helped our air to become cleaner, our water to become cleaner. And uh, so people will see this as, as uh, things that we can actually accomplish and things that we can look forward to. You know, again, working on the Green New Deal uh, to make sure that we can uh, think in terms of jobs uh, that are not dependent on fossil fuels. And so I think that there's a lot of... Uh, a, a vision out there and we just have to get people to come in and, and uh, come on that journey with all of us. I am hopeful. I think that the pandemic has kind of been like a wake up call for a lot of people. A lot of people, maybe when they're at home, they start reflecting mm. on what's really important and uh, maybe lives are more important than uh, material goods or haircuts. Well, yeah. I certainly haven't had a haircut in a while, so um, <laughs> I guess I have my priorities in the right place. Um, thank you so much. Hey, everyone is going to join your 90th birthday party. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I can't It's May wait. 30th at 6 p.m. It's uh, 5 p.m. California time. 5 p.m. 5 to 7 California time. And uh, it's at DoloresFuerte.org is our website. And people just can just go on DoloresHorta.org, and that's how they can, uh, uh, you know, sign in. Great. We'll also be sure to, to have that link up on our podcast page and, and on our social media as well. So we'll share that with people who want to listen, celebrate, and support the foundation. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and Mariah, I want to thank you, too. I, I keep mentioning Steve, and we know that you're, <laughs> you're out here doing all, all of the hard work also. Oh, that's very, very generous of you. I'm not Steve does the hard work. That's not true, Mariah. But I get is. to participate, and, and, and I was very excited to to have the opportunity to speak with you. So thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah, thank you. I hope we get to see you in person again soon. Yes, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you for taking action. This is how we win. We win when we all stay safe and get involved. We want to hear from you. Tweet to us at BluesBoySteve and at Mariah underscore Craven, or email us at podcast at swingleft.org. Thank you to our friends at Demcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share on social media and use the hashtag HowWeWin2020. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. That's also where you can sign up to volunteer. We really appreciate you being here with us, and we'll be back with more next Wednesday. Discovery Plus has what you're hungry for with new original series and a supersized collection of favorites. It's the largest collection of food shows anywhere, all for only $4.99. Discovery Plus, the streaming home of food, plus so much more. Start your free trial.